It's been my joy to be the preacher designated, designee or whatever the word is, uh, for the month of May. Uh, starting next month, we have Herb Ward coming back, and Herb's a great man of God and very good preacher, so we're thankful for that. Um, and it's been my joy to share with you my heart about a passage that to me is uh, very important because it reminds me when I need reminding of what my security is, of where I stand on this earth and before God. And that is the Ephesians chapter 1. Actually, I love the book of Ephesians as a whole, but this passage especially uh, resonates with me. So it's the passage I chose to preach on because of four key words. So first, let's read it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 through 23 in the uh, Pew Bible, at least the normal Pew, not the uh, large print one. It's on page 976. But Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23, as we've read for each Sunday this month, we'll read it again. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 through 23. Well, no, we no, have been reading verse 15 through 23, but today I want to concentrate on verse 19 through 23. And Paul, going back to verse 18, says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and then for today, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of his strength, the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray together. Lord, again we come because it is your word. And even though we can understand the words and the grammar, we can see things in it by our own human ability. But apart from the work of your spirit, Lord, we fall so short from understanding it fully. Paul prayed, Lord, not only for the believers in Ephesus, but you use it. It's your prayer through Paul to us that we would understand something about the glory of what you are doing and have promised us and are doing and will continue to do. May we get a glimpse, a more full picture of all that we have in the promises of Christ, in the fullness of what he has done and is doing for us. Lord, lead me. I am a sinful man, as we all are sinful people, falling so far short from what you would want. But your spirit, Lord, is the one who works and is working now. Do it powerfully in me, and each person hearing this, truly for the glory of Christ. Amen. As 
So just as a review, so we have been looking at the four parts of Ephesians chapter 1, especially verses 18 and following, that I find great comfort in, that I relish in. The four things are first, the spirit, the spirit that gives insight, or it says wisdom, but it's the idea of ability to understand the situation and know the right thing to do and our increase our understanding of who God is. And then secondly, that's hope. The secondly, or that's spirit. The second is hope. What is our hope? Hope here means a certain, a certainty, a certain ability to know for sure that God is going to work. A certain reliableness in God. That's what hope is. And this hope that in whatever situation comes our way, God is at work. God is doing it. And then thirdly is inheritance that we looked at last week. An inheritance. Not only heaven to come, that is an inheritance, but on this earth. The inheritance God has given to us and is continuing to give to us. That is so great and rich and wonderful. Not only salvation, but adoption. Not only adoption, but also the idea that He's giving us many, many blessings constantly every day. And often we don't even know what they are. Often we just accept them as, well, of course. But they are part of his blessings, his grace being poured out. And now today, power. The power, the remarkable redeeming power that Paul talks about here in verse 19 and following. Somebody told Becky, I didn't realize this, it's ship. S-H-I-P. Right? Spirit, hope, inheritance, and power. Those you can hold on to. When everything else is going bad, you've got those four things. Spirit, hope, inheritance, and power. But they, let's look at that remarkable redeeming power of Christ for us. Paul prays that our eyes would be enlightened. In other words, that we would, our hearts, literally is the idea, our soul, our spirit, would be enlightened or illumined to understand these things because we came on our own. But what he says is here that there's a magnitude of God's excelling power. There's a magnitude of it. Notice how he describes it in verse 19. He says, depending on your translation, New American Standard, the surpassing greatness of his power toward us, which is basically the same as the ESV, but similar, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. Any builder knows that you've got to have a good foundation. If you don't have a good foundation in your home, you can have problems. And if you, anybody's building a home, like there's some new homes being built on 193, if you wanted to see if it's going to be a good house, stop and look at the foundation. Because if the foundation is bad, it's bad. A few years ago, before we moved here, our, the house we live in now was hit by a tornado. Uh, it did some damage. I'm really not sure how much, but they repaired it. But I understand the house, catty corner for us, across the street, it took off the whole roof. Just poof. The roof, you know, the house was roofless. Not ruthless, roofless. But the house stood because it had a good foundation. This is our foundation. The truth of God's magnitude of his power, the greatness, the exceeding greatness of his power is our foundation. 
It, it is what keeps us realizing that we can believe in His Spirit. We can believe that His Holy Spirit's going to work. Because if God is not all-powerful, God is not completely aware and, and controlling every situation, then why can the Spirit do anything? Or the hope. How can you have hope in something that you don't think really has the power to fulfill what he says he's going to do? It's the power that says you can have hope because God is doing it. And what about inheritance? How do you know for sure that God is going to do good for you? How do you know for sure that there's a heaven if there's not an all-powerful God who's controlling everything? How do you know for sure that Satan isn't going to finally defeat God? Because we know God is all-powerful. God is in complete control of everything. Those three truths are based upon the fact that God is all-powerful. And trusting in that complete, supreme, absolute power of God must be your foundation. But when it isn't, and bad things or situations come up, or you're struggling, it's when you begin to doubt. Why? Because You've forgotten your foundation. You've forgotten who's really in control. Is God really powerful and in control or not when those things happen? And we begin to doubt that he is. The power, the recognizing, the believing, understanding, the power of God at work must be what grounds you and keeps you there. A few Sundays ago when I was preaching, I used an illustration about Russ Lynch. I know Russ is, and here he's actually traveling. Um, and I, you know, I think some people misunderstood. I, I said, you know, Russ put a covering on our back deck. And I said, now, my illustration was, you know, what I did was, uh, I've always go out and check, make sure Russ did the right job. And, you know, I, make, I, I wanted his plans to make sure that his plans were good. Now, it was a joke, you know, because I trust Russ completely. Now, what's the point? The point is we do that with God. You know, we sort of like, God, I'm not sure your plans are good. I don't, I don't like what's happening. God, your plans must be faulty because this can't be good. My point was we do that with God every time we question what's happening in our life. And yet God is loving and patient with us. God does not zap us. God does not all of a sudden say, heck with you. You don't trust me? Fine. You're none of me. Yet every time I complain about something in my life, I'm basically saying, God, I don't trust you. I don't think you're a plan. I don't think you're in control the way you should be in control. Paul uses here an expression that when he says the immeasurable greatness of his power, the actual words are, now it's very interesting, the actual word is hyperbole magnitude of force. A hyperbole magnitude of force. What is a hyperbole? You know what it is. It's when the preacher says, you know, it's just great. You know, he does some great illustration and you think, yeah, it's not. Or it's when the parent says to the child, if I've told you once, I've told you a million times. You know he's not told you a million times. 
but that's a hyperbole. It's when we ex say something exceedingly uh, greater than it really is. And we love to do that. So what's Paul mean here when he says it's a hyperbole of magnitude? He's saying that you can't, that, that God's power, the magnitude of God's power is so much greater than I can even express. So I have to, you know, amplify it because we can't understand it. God's power is so great that even the greatest example of it will never fully explain God's power. And Paul's trying to grab hold of it. It's like grabbing hold of you and shaking you and saying, don't you understand how great God's power is? No, I don't. But he wants you to. He wants you to grab hold of it and say, I can hold on to that power. God's power goes far beyond any power we can imagine. But the problem is, what do we have today? We have all these superheroes. You know, and the X-Men and the uh, Marvel men and the women. And, you know, what, they can do all these. There's a new movie out I hear about some woman who's zapped in space and comes back. I don't know what that is. But anyway, you know, they, and we see those people and we think, wow. You know, when I was growing up, about the only superhero that was really famous was Superman. You know, what they say about Superman? Right? Can leap tall buildings, stronger than, uh, faster than a speeding train, bullets bounce off. I mean, you know, that, that was my superhero. And we have all these superheroes today, and it's almost like we, we get to this point where we think, that is great power. Those, you know, look at what they do. No, that's nothing. We, we almost down God's superpower when we look at those people and think that is superpower. It's nothing. Because God's superpower goes beyond that because it works in a way we don't see. It works in a way that we can't understand. It's beyond because he's working in an area that we can't see, and that is the spiritual realm where Satan lives and works. And Satan wants to overthrow what we do. But God says no. You know, we would have never understood <clears throat> the conversation between Satan and God about Job if it wasn't in the Bible, right? You would have never, what, what happened to Job? We would have, you know, if they had written the account of Job, he got zapped, his children were killed, all this, everything. You know, okay, God, what are you doing here? Well, we know now because of the account of Job that Satan was trying to prove to God that no man can be faithful. And God's saying to J Satan, they'll be faithful because I'll make them faithful. My power will keep them faithful. Not because of who they are, but because of who I am. That's the point of Job. I'm the one that keeps Job sound and the one who doesn't deny God. It's me, God, that is doing it. Charles Spurgeon said something very well about this, this power of God. He says, in the conversion, preservation, and salvation of any one person, the conversion, the preservation, and the salvation of any one person, God exhibits as great a power then as he manifested when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. Imagine, 
God demonstrated his power in you when he saved you. God demonstrates this great power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand. He demonstrates that same power when he keeps you from falling. He demonstrates that same power when he sanctifies you and changes you more and more into Christ himself. And what should be our response? One response, praise. Praise because of who God is and what he's doing. That's why we sing on Sunday morning. We sing to praise the God who not only redeemed us, who not only is working, but the God who is all-powerful, the God who is doing everything. I love the testimonies. They are a song of praise of who God is and what God is doing. It's a song of praise that God, yes, God by his power, God by his mercy, God by his grace allows us to do and does things in us. Those are songs of praise that we should have. Moses had one. If you want to look back in Exodus chapter 15, it's a great song of praise. Exodus chapter 15, if you're not sure, Genesis, Exodus. Exodus 15, it's right after some great event that happened. You'll recognize it. Exodus chapter 15. We're going to read the first 15, first 13 verses of Exodus 15. This is Moses after uh, what God did. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. And he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is my name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea. And the choices of the officers and drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them like chaff. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The, flow, the flowing waters stood like a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heat of the, the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them. I will draw out my sword, my hand will destroy them. You blew with your, you blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like the mighty waters. Who is like you among gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. That's the song of praises that we need to sing, and we do it. What was the first song, hymn we sang today? Look back at your bulletin. What was the first thing you sang today to God? To God be the glory. That's a song of praise. And if you look at the words, it tells you why God should have glory. 
It tells you why. And then we sang, what next? There's a redeemer. There's my redeemer. It should be a song you sing and saying, yes, my redeemer. And you look at the words and you're saying, that is the praise I sing because of God's power, because of who God is. We sing praises because of who God is, of his power and his might, because if it wasn't for his power, then we can't trust him. We don't know what's going to happen next. Who's in control? But you know, there's an important word here that is, Paul uses, that God uses through Paul. What's he say? There's a great power, but what about that great power? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power? What? Toward us. Not just a, a great power, not just out there a nebulous power, but a power toward us. The idea is it's for us. It's working for our good. His power and his rule are to build you up and me up. His people. His powers at work for his people. Not just some great power controlling the world, sort of like the view that God started the world and is like a watchmaker and just let it go. No, his powers at work for you and for me. To do for you and me what is good. And why is that important? Because it says it's a personal power. It's a personal power. It's not just a great power. It's your personal power that God is doing for you and for me, his people. It's a power that is so personal that God wants you to grab hold of it and say, God, I know your power is at work for me doing what is good for me. Let me read from Spurgeon again. Oh, that you knew what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, because then you would fling away despair. There remains nothing for you in this case but to submit to the divine power. God will work in you. Be willing to be worked upon. Drop yourselves like plastic clay at the potter's feet and he will put you on the wheel and mold you at his pleasure. We sing a song occasionally here. You know what that is? Spirit of the living God. It's hymn number 2726. We're not going to look at it or sing it right now. But you know the words in that? This is what it says. Spirit of the living God, break me. Okay, I want you to imagine that you have a, a, a cup or a plate. The first thing to remake it, what do you have to do? You break it. You break it. So the spirit of the living God, break me and then melt me. You've got to dissolve it back to something that you can remold because then he says, mold me. So after he's reformed you, then what? Fill me. Spirit of the living God, break me, um, melt me, mold me, fill me. That's what we need to be willing to say, yes, God, do that. By your power, do that in me. Be willing to be broken. And then the gospel becomes more important. Why? Because then you realize, I must depend upon what Christ has done and is doing for me. 
I believe that Christ not only died for me, not only that Christ lives for me, but Christ is doing what's best for me. God is working in me in a way I can't understand. Philippians 2 verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. God is at work in you, both to cause his will to come about and to work in you in the way that is good, his good pleasure for your good. Why do you go to the doctor? No, it's not because you're sick. Because you can be sick and not go to the doctor. You go to the doctor, why? Because you believe that the doctor can help you, right? Well, the doctor cannot really heal you. What he can do is give you chemicals. Give you a prescription to put chemicals in your body. If you've got a broken arm, he can reset it. He can do those things that he's been trained to do. But you go to the doctor because you believe the doctor has some ability to help your body physically. That's not bad. I don't like going to the doctor. It's all right. But we, we go to the doctor because he believes he can help. Why do you come to church on Sunday morning? Why do you read the Bible? Why do you pray? Is your faith and belief in God's ability to help you equal to your belief and understanding of what the doctor can do? Are they sort of on the same level? See, sometimes mine is. Sometimes I just have this limited view of God, of what God will do, not that he can't do it, but of what he will do. And that's sin. That's sin. What I'm saying, God, I don't believe you really have my best interest. I don't really believe you're going to do what's best for me. But Paul says that he prays that you would come, that we, I would come to understand the greatness of his power toward me. Toward you as a believer. That power is at work doing something for you. And you've got to believe it's doing what's best. Becky and I had an experience, have had a, something happen to us yesterday. We lost our internet. About 2.30 yesterday, all of a sudden, no internet. You know, you just start feeling very disconnected to the world. <laughs> I still have my phone. I have internet on that, so it's hard. Uh, you know, but data. But... You know, when you lose something like that, you can sort of start feeling disconnected. Well, they're going to fix it eventually. But it's all right. You can live without it. Believe me, I did for years. But um, at times, though, we can feel disconnected from God. We do. We feel like we pray. We don't read the Bible. We don't want to read the Bible. We feel this sort of, where's God mentality? God, speak to me. We don't feel God's presence. We don't see his power at work. How do we reconnect to God? You don't call the repairman. How do you reconnect to God? It's possible. It is supernatural. But how do you do it? 
go back to the truth of Scripture. When I go to this passage, it's when I feel disconnected from God. I go back and say, God, I know your spirit is there and he's working. I know it. I know it. I, I preach to myself. I tell myself, your spirit is there even though I don't feel him, even though I'm not sure how he's working. I know the spirit is working. I know the Lord is teaching me something. And I do have a hope. I do have a hope, not based on the things of this world. I go back and say, my hope is not in who I am or what I do. My hope is in what Christ is doing and what Christ has done and what Christ will continue to do. And I have an inheritance. I know God's grace is giving me more and more, uh, giving more, me more and more grace. I know I'm his son. And I know he loves me. He's proved it. And I know he has a power at work for me. That's how you reconnect. You go back to the areas where you realize you are not doing. You're not believing where you should. Our hymn right after this is in your bulletin. I want you to look at it. It's on the next to the last page. On the back. In Christ Alone. I, I requested this hymn of Scott. Um, why? Because of the words. They strike home. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just notice the first stanza. In Christ alone, my hope, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, the cornerstone, this solid ground. He catch it? It's our foundation. It's who we are depending upon. And then the last stanza. No guilt in life, no fear of death. This is the power of Christ in me. And then notice. From life's first cry to the final death, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. I rest upon that. I rest upon the fact that I am totally in God's hands and his power is doing what's best for me. Be encouraged. Be encouraged, no matter what happens. Be encouraged. God's power is working perfectly for you. If you know Christ, if Christ has come and saved you, if you know you have committed your life to Christ and said, I cannot save myself, nothing I do is good, and only Christ, by his death, has saved me and paid for my sins, then that promise is for you. And if you haven't done that, then don't. Don't find hope in this because it's not for you. The hope is for you who know that. And if you don't, then come and talk to me or some other person about what it means to really have Christ as your Savior. Because these promises, these truths are for us who know Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again that we have a spirit that is at work. We have a hope that is not based on the things of this world, but based upon you. We have an inheritance on this earth and the earth to come. And we have a power at work, Lord. Your magnificence, hyperbole, magnitude of power that is at work for you, for those who know you, for your children. 
Thank you, Lord, that we can praise you and sing because these truths are what gives us a foundation for life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let us stand and sing.